A leading news story of the past few days was a report that Rex Tillerson has called the president a moron, something that the Secretary of State did not deny in a press conference. In response to that report, the president tweeted, Why isn't the Senate Intel Committee looking into the fake news networks in our country to see why so much of our news is just made up? Fake. Mr. Trump has frequently attacked the news media and suggested expanding the libel laws, and this has led many to be concerned that he's calling for government censorship and that the First Amendment is under attack. So, for this week's Please Explain, we have decided to take a close look at the First Amendment, and who else... Who else could we have invited other than Floyd Abrams, senior partner in the law firm Cahill, Gordon, and Rindell, and the author, most recently, of the book, The Soul of the First Amendment. I'm very pleased to welcome him to our show today. It's good to see you you. again. It's good to be here. And during these Please Explain segments, we invite our listeners to join the discussion. You can give us a call at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wmic.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Did you uh, interpret the president's most recent tweet as a, a call for government censorship? <laughs> I interpreted it as a cri de coeur, uh, as, a, as a primal scream uh, more than a, a a call for for action. Uh, it's one of these things where, if it were a different president, one might think that he was really talking about doing or causing things to be done. Uh, certainly, if one reads it even potentially as a proposal or something to to spur something on in Congress. Uh, it would raise uh, the greatest and gravest uh, First Amendment problems. Well, if Rex Tillerson actually did say what he is reputed to have said, uh, a libel case would he couldn't have uh, the president couldn't have won a libel case. No, no, no. You mean against Tillerson? No, or uh, no, or, or, or against uh, the NBC? No, no, no. Uh, without doubt, uh, he couldn't win a libel case. The president, when he talks about libel, is, among other things, uninformed. Uh, As you indicated earlier, he has talked about changing the libel law, but he really seems not to know that there is no federal libel law to change. In England, there are libel laws, and uh, if people want to sue for libel, uh, they're happier to sue in England. True, but but in, in America, we have 50 state libel laws. And, of course, a First Amendment over everything. But there is no federal libel law and there is no, no legislation which one could even sort of dream up to, to, to uh, effectuate that. Before we begin, perhaps I should read the First Amendment. Okay. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free <coughs> exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Is there a difference between the legal definition and the spirit of the First Amendment, which many people use as a shorthand for <coughs> freedom of speech? There certainly is, most of all. Uh, that uh, Madison, when he first introduced it, uh, uh, couched it affirmatively rather than negatively. The, the, the people shall have the right to freedom of speech, etc. And, and the decision, and it was a, a cosmic 
decision was there was made to to be very clear that it was a limitation on the government. And was there opposition from various states or some of the founding fathers? Uh, not, not to that change. Uh, uh, I mean, when the uh, when the founding fathers met in Philadelphia, they voted ten states to zero not to have a Bill of Rights uh, when that when that came up. Uh, and indeed, even when it came up separately in Philadelphia, about well, what, why don't we just say the right of the press to be free shall be inviolable? Uh, the vote was seven to four against it. Now, that wasn't because they didn't believe in it, but it is because people like Alexander Hamilton uh, persuaded them, and the Federalists and others did, that they shouldn't go start listing things that Congress couldn't do, that they didn't believe they were empowering Congress to do. Of course, the Tenth Amendment made things easier for the states to swallow the rest of the Bill of Rights. Exactly, and the Ninth Amendment answered what Hamilton was complaining about, because the Ninth Amendment said the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall shall not be construed to deny or or deprive the people uh, of their rights. Um, So, you know, uh, we wound up with the First Amendment, as you just read it, which uh, is, is aimed at, focused on, the sort of government misconduct with respect to speech, press, religion, assembly, that the, the founders uh, understood, much of which had occurred in England, licensing of the press, for example, uh, and which they didn't want to have here. Well, has it been amended, amended a couple of times? Civil War and then 1992? Oh, yes. Sure. The, con- the Bill of Rights or the Constitution has been amended. The, the no, but I mean the the, the the intent of the First Amendment. No, no, no. Do you think it? Why was it placed first? Because uh, uh, it was thought to be the most important one. Well, that's what I say to judges sometimes. <laughs> the truth is, it was initially third. The, the as initially drafted, the first two amendments were dull as dishwater. They were about how many people live in each district. Uh, and those were voted down. Uh, but with that said, they really did care about free speech and press and the like. And if uh, the, that, those first amendments, those early proposed amendments, had, uh, had wound up in the Constitution, would we be talking about gerrymandering today? Uh, I haven't thought that out. Uh, and I'm not sure of, I don't think, think that I don't think it would necessarily avoid gerrymandering because it would what they were doing was saying blank people per district they weren't saying in so many words fairly chosen or not discriminatorily chosen for the purpose of electing this party or that party now uh, getting back to freedom of speech we've had any number of cases where uh, you have to wonder how uh, how strictly that has been applied. Eugene V. Debs was jailed for making anti-war speeches right. during the First World War. Uh, the Supreme Court has, uh, has uh, decided on a number of books as uh, whether they should be accepted uh, as, as uh, 
being under the purview of free speech. Uh, the Supreme Court decided at one point that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. So falsely, uh, f- how yeah. um, how uh, much have we really lived by the the, mm-hmm. the First Amendment over the history of the United States? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I think we have a broader, more enforced First Amendment now than we probably ever did uh, throughout American history. And it's not absolute now. But uh, when you think of it, they passed the Alien and Sedition Act within six months of adopting the Bill of Rights. So we had the single most repressive law of Congress days, so to speak, days after the First Amendment was adopted. But then the Supreme Court reversed that. No, it didn't. No, No, it didn't. And and, in New York Times against Sullivan, 1964, Justice Brennan said the verdict of history is that that the, the, the Sedition Act was unconstitutional, but the Supreme Court never ruled that it was. My guest is Floyd Abrams. His the book on the First Amendment, The Soul of the First Amendment, is published by Yale University Press. This is WMIC, WMIC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Uh, we invite your calls, 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. How has the Supreme Court generally treated the First Amendment? I'd I'd phrase it uh, almost chronologically. They didn't treat it at all for the first hundred years. We didn't have any cases in the 19th century. Uh, It was was World War I. It took till then, and cases like the Debs case, for the court to start even to address it. Uh, And then, as you pointed out correctly earlier, uh, often to reject the First Amendment and gave very strong First Amendment claims. Uh, and so the, the beginning of it in, uh, on the ground legally was the dissenting opinions of Brandeis and Holmes in the 1920s. First, if, if the First Amendment doesn't cover what uh, has been called obscenity. And there, there were a Correct. number of cases. There was a the uh, the Ulysses case. Uh, there was a Fanny Hill case. Right. There have been a number of film cases. Well, it's true, but the other way to say that is that the Ulysses case was finally won. I mean, you're quite right. Ulysses was was kept out for years and years. There's another memoirs well, of Hecate County. Exactly, but but you know those those cases. It took time. It took into the night. I mean, the, the uh, Ulysses case was a district court case affirmed by the Second Circuit in the 1930s. And then the, the, what was once obscene started to not be obscene in the 50s and 60s. Uh, um, Although one Supreme but, Court but, justice but we, said, I know obscenity when I, when what, I see that's it. That's what Justice Stewart said. May not be able to define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh, which, you know, has a a kernel of truth to it. The problem with it is that that's no rule of law, right? I mean, how, how do I know what he thinks uh, is, you know, violates the First Amendment? How is hate speech policed differently in places like Canada and Europe right. than it is in the United States? Yeah. It's, uh, it's criminal. Uh, 
Uh, Canada had a case just a few years ago where a, a religious uh, zealot was appalled by the idea that Saskatchewan was about to teach about homosexuality in high schools. He printed flyers uh, t- saying they were going to teach buggery and denouncing gays, gay life, etc. Uh, he was found guilty of a crime of defaming the entire gay community of Canada. We would protect that speech. We would look, look uh, maybe the best example is what candidate Donald Trump said uh, uh, about Muslims, about Mexicans, would be criminal throughout most of Europe. Even today? Yes, yes. On the other hand, uh, you have supported the right of neo-Nazis going all the way back to Skokie. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I Charlottesville? Uh, and in Charlottesville. I mean, they marched and they chanted and they were uh, outrageous and scary. But uh, I don't believe, and our law doesn't allow, and the First Amendment doesn't allow the suppression of that so long as it doesn't turn into violence or direct threats of violence. Well, many of the protesters were also heavily armed. So Some they were. even aimed their weapons at the counter-protesters, and then uh, somebody was killed as well. Well, that, that's true. Isn't and, that and, intimidation? Is that— Well, the person—I I mean, the, the person who did the killing is under—is in jail now. The, the, uh, the speakers, as it were, uh, you know, remain free so long as— what they do does not pass some very difficult lines to 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 pass. Uh, I mean, look, uh, we pay a price for the level of protection that we have. But to come back to your very first question, as of now, that protection is very great. Uh, yes, we still have obscenity laws, but they're the the so much weaker because of First Amendment decisions than they ever were, much weaker than the framers thought. Well, as I mentioned, um, some of the protesters were heavily armed. They say that displaying weapons is protected by the Second Amendment uh, uh, and by the First. But what's the difference between a peaceful protest and, and an armed mob? A mob, I would say, is different than uh, mar- people marching, uh, you know, who didn't, who didn't, as a generality, you know, start beating people up, didn't shoot people. Uh, it it was appalling and revealing of this terrible undercurrent, but uh, uh, we protect it because we're not prepared to let the government start making content decisions as to how far down the road you can say bad things about people. The ACLU has reversed its stance on Charlottesville. Uh, not, not quite. Uh, the ACLU has said it is considering or reconsidering its position, and uh, uh, I, my guess is particularly when guns are involved. Now, the First Amendment is often seen as a liberal cause, but as you point out, it can also be used to defend people mm-hmm. who liberals are opposed to. How does it apply to businesses like the baker that uh, refused to create a cake for a gay wedding? Mm-hmm. Is that a free speech issue? 
Well, I don't think it is. Uh, to, uh, to be fair to the, to the baker's side, he says, look, you come in my shop, anything on the shelf you can buy, whatever you are, whatever you believe in, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But my creations, he says, are individualistic. I, I interview you, I talk to you, and then I decide whether to make a work of art. Uh, my, my response to that is that if, if I owned a, an art gallery and I said, uh, uh, I'm gonna uh, uh, stop in and we'll paint you, and then we said, well, no blacks, no gays, no Jews. Everyone would understand right away that can't be protected speech. On uh, the other hand, I studied with a, a famous artist uh, in, in the past who said that he would interview people who are going to buy, who want to buy his paintings, and he wouldn't sell them to everyone if he felt that they didn't really understand what his work was about. And the interesting question there would be: suppose his policy was not as you've described it, suppose the policy was, uh, I don't believe uh, black people, I don't believe Hispanics get it, so I, I won't sell to them. I, again, I don't think anybody would think that's, that is uh, protected by the First Amendment. In any event, I don't. I'm speaking to Floyd Abrams. Uh, we're talking about the First Amendment on today's Please Explain, and his book from Yale, is called The Soul of the First Amendment. Uh, we will uh, continue this conversation after we take a little break and take some of your calls. Our number here is 212-433-9692. We'll come back talking a bit about Citizens United. Uh, again, 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wmic.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where handle is at Leonard Lopate. And we are back with Floyd Abrams, his latest book, The Soul of the First Amendment, published by Yale University Press. We invite your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wmyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Let's take a call. Tracy from Fairfield, Connecticut. You're on the air. Hi. Thank you. I love all your new shows on your channel. Listen, I want to know why isn't a death threat considered a hate speech? I mean, people shouldn't be allowed to threaten other people's lives and just get away with a little, oh, sorry, didn't mean it. Well, uh, That's my question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is a sort of hate speech. The, the problem is that we protect hate speech. Uh, now, we don't protect death threats which are sort of immediately credible, likely to occur. I mean, we basically what our law says is uh, there, if you are inciting to violence and, and, and it's really going to happen, uh, uh, there is something called a true threat. And a true threat is not protected by the First Amendment. But it's got to be very clear and and meant uh, as a you know that's something I'm really about to do, and believed by the person who's making the threat uh, as something more than just uh, uh, fun to be outrageous. Can thank you for your call. Uh, can you talk about your role in the Citizens United case? Sure. 
Uh, it's seen as it was seen as a boon for the wealthy to influence politics. Isn't there a compelling reason to limit the amount of influence the very wealthy can have in politics when the rest of us can't have that kind of influence? Well, the the, the issue uh, there, as, as well as an earlier case, uh, Buckley versus Vallejo in the 1970s, is uh, that was an abortion case, wasn't it? No, oh. no, that that was a case which said that individuals can spend as much as they choose to on elections. Contributions can be limited, but not quote expenditures unquote. So Citizens United ex- expanded or clarified or whatever that, saying corporations uh, also. Uh, look, we we have a real problem of inequality and a problem of uh, allocation of resources. Whether we ought to deal with that by effectively limiting speech, even of the wealthiest, is what these cases uh, are about. What is the justification for the rationale that corporations are people and have the right to free speech? Well, first of all, I spent a lot of my life representing corporations that publish newspapers and corporations that, that put people on the air and corporations that do all sorts of things where no one ever imagined that because they were corporations they would not get First Amendment protection. Uh, the, the rationale is not that corporations are people but that the government can't prevent speech and in particular political speech and most of all see speech about who to vote for. So, because those are so sensitive that we just will not let Congress or politicians or even you know elected people make those calls, and that's what what the court has said, and and I agree with that. President Obama spoke out against the Citizens United ruling, arguing that it could cause foreign money to influence elections. Mm. And the Supreme Court made clear within a year or two that uh, uh, it, it didn't apply to foreign money, that, that uh, you know, we, we have another body of law. I mean, law isn't always that clear. It's like, you know, three or four-dimensional chess. On the one hand, we say we, we protect political speech and the government can't get involved. At the same time, we say we treat foreign money differently than American money because we're concerned about, I would say now, exactly what happened in the, in the 2016 race. Well, we're learning that thousands of Facebook ads were targeted at Americans uh, yes. that have been linked to Russia. Russia, yeah. Is this the kind of foreign influence protected because of the Citizens United case? No. No, I, I, I mean, uh, not because of Citizens United. Uh, the... The Russian involvement raises uh, even more uh, what sophisticated or difficult cases. A lot of that money went to places like RT, the Russian-funded television station, which we can all get on cable, uh, or or uh, or other press-like entities, which uh, adhere to and support and embody uh, what Russia would like to have happen. Uh, I don't think they would get the same level of First Amendment protection, but they would certainly get some. Uh, 
I, I think the problem there was a total lack of disclosure and a total lack of ability of the public to know that uh, these uh, ads uh, were, were Russian ads. What about the fake news that we're getting, that we get all the time, for example, in connection to the Las Vegas shooter who has uh, been accused of being, yeah. uh, I don't know, a, a, a convert to, to Islam, a, yeah. a, a, a supporter of liberal causes? You know, that's, admirer of Floyd Abrams. <laughs> that's one of the one of the hardest areas. We've basically decided, in terms of our cases and the like, that we're not going to allow the government to make decisions about what is fake and what's not fake. Uh, I said in response to your very first question that that if Congress started investigating NBC because NBC said that the Secretary of State said uh, that the uh, president was a moron, uh, that would raise the gravest sort of First Amendment problems. And those problems would exist even if they went after entities that did engage in fake news. Let's take another call. Jason from Manhattan, you're on the air. Hi, guys. Um, first of all, I'm so pleased that you're covering this right now because I was actually going over some, at least what I deem fake news uh, online today uh, in response to the, the Vegas shooter where a member of my family posted something saying that, you know, uh, something about Obama's collusion and funneling money into uh, radical left-wing groups. And I followed the links of their sources. And as I went from source to source and sort of like the telephone game of these so-called facts, it's like new descriptor words were added every time. It went from um, activist causes to left-wing activist causes to Antifa causes, you know? And the, that sort of embellishment of, of facts or, or embellishment of, of information to spin people's ideas and, and sort of uh, rally them to whatever causes. To me, what occurred to me earlier in your conversation was that it sort of hearkened to yelling fire in a crowded theater. You're playing to people's base fears. And, I mean, this isn't what I initially said I was going to talk about. No, you wanted to talk about the baker's uh, choice not to to decorate the cake. Yeah, specifically with that, I mean, I'm, I'm a painter. Um, and with, with that instance, the, from what I understand, the baker offered to sell them a plain cake. So he wasn't discriminating against his product. He said, I'll sell you a plain cake. I'm just not willing to paint this because it goes against my, my religious ideas. And, you know, it, he was willing to sell him a cake, but he didn't want to practice his art, which I think was, is his personal expression. So I, I feel like there is a line there that at least deserves more discussion. But we've, we've seen other situations where stores have refused to, uh, to sell things to, to gay people. Uh, uh, where do we draw that line? Yeah. And, and if we draw it uh, in a way that whether one calls it individual conscience or religious belief, and I think the law, whatever it is, is going to come out the same way on both of those, uh, if we draw it so as to say, well, if you if you care enough about this, if you believe in about, enough about this, you don't have to do X, which which society as a whole decides is a, an important value like anti discrimination. 
you know, you're going down a very dangerous road. But that said, look, the reason that case is in the Supreme Court is that it, you know, it is it is not a foolish argument by any means that the Baker's lawyers are making. Uh, the problem with it, as I see it, is that there is no way to keep it from encompassing discrimination of a sort we would all recognize in almost any other context. Now, we have very little time left, and one of the big issues today, uh, concerns of conservatives, is that uh, on many college campuses, uh, conservative speakers have been denied or uh, been booed down uh, when they try to talk, uh, covering anyone from Milo Yiannopoulos to Ann Coulter. is that a denial of free speech? Do I have to book a guest on this show simply because that guest uh, takes a position uh, that um, that uh, I may think is silly or uh, shouldn't really be given a lot of time? Uh, you certainly don't. But if you're a public institution, a public uh, university, a state school, you're bound by the First Amendment. You are treated as if you're Congress. Uh, and if, if you have a policy of only inviting liberal or conservative speakers, uh, you ought to lose your case. So what is your position on uh, what's going on in places like Berkeley? I think it's a, a major problem, I think, to oversimplify it. But nonetheless, I think the conservatives are basically right in saying uh, on this one, uh, you know, we're having difficulty even having a chance to voice in the same place people who disagree with us voice uh, our opinions. Now, some of it, to be sure, is just being done for the show and to show up the left and to make trouble, et cetera. But, but you know, that's, that's not everything. Uh, and, and I think uh, uh, universities will continue to have great legal problems uh, and should uh, if they basically are so uh, slanted to one side of issues uh, of public import that the other side can't be heard. In just a minute, uh, you were a supporter of Daniel Ellsberg's uh, release of the Pentagon Papers. Would you also support Edward Snowden? Uh, I have mixed feelings about Edward Snowden. I think that his revelations about domestic surveillance were extremely valuable and that he deserves all the credit he's gotten. Uh, I don't think uh, he ought to get credit for revealing documents that showed we were listening, uh, overhearing telephone calls of the president of Russia or the president of Brazil. I think that does harm national security. Floyd Abrams has litigated First Amendment cases ranging from the Pentagon Papers case to the Citizens United, taught as a visiting lecturer at Yale and Columbia Law School. His latest book is called The Soul of the First Amendment. It is published by Yale University Press, and it has been my great pleasure to have him as our guest today on Please Explain, a look at the First Amendment. Thank you very much.